Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, What more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity line. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning cup of murder. Powerful people have the ability to get away with murder. On November 2nd, 1941, a woman was born who would put herself right in the center of a group of powerful men. Men who were keen to protect her and her business until she started threatening to expose them. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Shirley June Finn, formerly She-Rang, born November 2nd, 1941, was the eldest daughter of a wartime bomber pilot raised predominantly by her mother. After the war, the family lived comfortably in the Mount Pleasant area of Australia, where she did well in school and helped out with her younger siblings. Then, at the age of 14, her parents found out that she was sexually active, and as a punishment, she was committed to a notoriously cruel Catholic church welfare home for eight months. And then, at the age of just 15, She left school altogether and began working in a city frock shop. That is where she met Des Finn, a 22-year-old Air Force mechanic, and the pair married in Perth shortly thereafter. Now living in Melbourne, Shirley started to work as a sales assistant and in 1959 and 1960 welcomed two sons into her family. Transferred back to Perth, they had a daughter in 1961. Within the year after her husband was injured and began suffering from mental instabilities, Shirley, now just 21 years old, became the sole breadwinner in her family and began working as a dancer and doing body paint in order to support her three very young children. It was also around this time that she became interested in witchcraft, joined a coven, and began conducting, quote, black magic and sex activities in King's Park. In 1969, after quite a bit of success in her new line of work and dipping her toes into the world of escorting, Shirley was arrested and charged with, quote, keeping premises for the purpose of prostitution. When news spread of her arrest, the very thing that put food in the mouths of her family became the thing that ostracized both her and her children and forced them to leave their Catholic primary school. None of this, however, stopped Shirley from doing what she needed, and at some point, She became an associate of brothel operator Dorothea Flatman, who came to Perth in 1968 and set up a number of establishments under the protection of Australian Vice Lord Abe Saffron, 
with the help of the Western Australian police. The pair of women, along with another named Stella Strong, became among the privileged few who were allowed to operate a sex work business and remained under the more intense care of Vice Squad Chief Bernard Bernie Jackson. It seemed that the very men who charged her years before were now in a partnership of sorts, and by 1975, Shirley Finn was known as a successful brothel keeper, a nightclub operator, and a well-known socialite. She was also a woman who, sometime in the night between June 22nd and 23rd of 1975, was shot dead inside of her parked car and left to be found at 8.30 a.m. by a passing motorcycle traffic officer. Dressed in an elaborate ball gown and donning expensive jewels, Shirley was found parked on a golf course next to a busy freeway. Found with four bullet holes in her head and jewelry untouched, it was clear from the very beginning that this crime was targeted against Shirley specifically and wasn't some robbery gone wrong. When the public heard about the murder, they immediately began forming their own opinions and theories that, of course, all seemed to center around her chosen profession. However, there was no evidence found at the scene to back these claims, at least none that was ever made public. The main issue in this case from the very beginning was her close relationship with Western Australia police detectives, who at this point in time were regulating and controlling every so-called seedy activity in the area, leading many to believe that the investigation from the jump was botched by men in power. With fingers pointing to Abe Saffron and a corrupt officer named Roger Rogerson, there was never really enough evidence for investigators to pursue. But in 1985, a, quote, very senior police officer was investigated. He eventually retired and the matter was deemed resolved, though the details are scarce. There are also many who believe that the murder might have had something to do with silencing Shirley before she could expose a number of police officers politicians, and business identities. You see, she was killed just two days before a tax hearing in which she threatened to tell everything she knew and get quite a few men in some hot water as a result. With means to kill and cover up the murder, some even say that a former detective, Bernie Johnson, confessed to killing Shirley Finn. Despite all of this, the case went cold for decades. On June 23, 2005, the 13th anniversary of the crime, a cold case review was announced, and again in 2014, but despite new information that was allegedly received during both of these investigations, and news reports that claimed a former policeman saw Shirley in the company of detectives the night of her murder, the case, to this day, remains unsolved. Then in March of 2017, an ABC documentary series, Australian Story, aired an episode titled Getting Away with Murder, and after telling Shirley Finn's story, said that a coronial inquest would be held that very same year. The show also presented testimony from her former driver, Lee Beswick, who claimed Shirley had an extended relationship with then-police minister Ray O'Connor. With more names being added to the list, the inquest officially opened in August of 2017, and heard evidence from a former Western Australian detective about an officially documented rumor from 1975 that stated Sydney criminal Nettie Smith had flown to Perth for, quote, an arranged meeting with Shirley Finn and an unnamed police officer. 
and that he was paid $5,000 to kill her on the behalf of her business partners. Other witnesses heard during the inquest include Frank Zanetti, a former deputy commissioner who signed the statement given by Keith Allen Lewis about Nettie Smith back during the initial investigation, but said that he had no memory of any action being taken to investigate the tip-off. Nettie Smith was not interviewed until 2014 and kept a tight lip about the case. Frank was then later asked why so many of the reports from the investigation seemed to disappear, how his signature was on countless documents he claimed he had no memory of, and why, after just four months of investigation, the police seemed to put an end to Shirley's case. Also interviewed was Philip Hooper, who said he saw nightclub owner Terrence Tudori and another man at the scene of Shelley's murder, and how he was intimidated into silence by Bruce Wilson, a former Australian workers' union leader. Jacqueline DeGay, a friend of Shirley's, who wrote down details of a conversation they had just two days before her murder, about death threats from a man named Owen Leach, who was about to become a police commissioner, and John Mearns, who reported the presence of a small green vehicle at the scene, but was told that the evidence was not needed before being warned by police that he was potentially in danger. Then there was Steve Coacod, who thought he saw Detective Don Hancock getting into Shirley's car near the time of her death and Ray Gardner, who said he saw Ray O'Connor actually shoot a lady twice and then fire at his taxi. His claims, however, didn't match up with the facts of the case, like the weather that night. Lee Varis Beswick, Shirley's former driver, spoke about her relationship with corrupt police officer Tony Lewandowski, who allegedly told her back in 2004 that he was there the day that Don Hancock shot Shirley Finn and Maxwell Raymond Healy, a former associate of Don Hancock, Bernie Johnson, and Ray O'Connor, who testified that he was beaten up at a nightclub for talking about seeing Bernie in the area the night of Shirley's murder. Though a few other men were implicated, like Detective Arthur Sims, who allegedly confessed to pulling the trigger because Shirley was, quote, not playing the game, Bob Nevin, and nightclub operator Walter Komen, Many seemed to point the finger at then-Vice Squad Chief Bernie Johnson and a tight circle of other officers who helped to cover up the entire thing. The public hearing adjourned on December 20th, 2017 and resumed on July 23rd, 2018. After a week, it was adjourned again for six months, quote, allowing new leads to be followed up and two scientific investigations to be completed. And Coroner Barry King, acknowledging the limitations, urged others to come forward with what they knew. The inquest was officially closed in June of 2019, when it was announced that there had been, quote, incompetence in the police investigation, that there were, quote, too many suspects, and that vital evidence, like the actual murder weapon and the victim's car, quote, disappeared. Because of all of this, a killer or a group of killers could not be identified, and though a list of suspects existed, containing the names Bernie Johnson, Robert Nevin, Don Hancock, and Nettie Smith, none could be singled out and held responsible. They did, however, determine that Shirley Finn was likely killed because she was trying to blackmail the police and reveal their corruption. Bernie did not give any evidence during the inquest, due to dementia, and died in 2018 before it was ever completed. Bridget Shearing, Shirley's daughter, 
said she wished the inquest was held when she and her brothers first applied in 2005, when everyone allegedly involved was still alive. The murder of Shirley Finn remains one of Western Australia's longest-running unsolved murders. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on November 3rd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.